Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Getting good sleep? Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> How many of you guys were here less than 24 hours ago? Raise your hand. Woo! Okay, let me tell you, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, it was an amazing night. We had an amazing time of worship, good food that some of you guys experienced if you were here a little bit early. And honestly, the keys player last night, beautiful. Woo! For those of you who don't know, that's my wife. So that's why I'm saying it. Uh, my name is Nathan. It's just a blessing to be here with you guys this morning and sharing what I learned from the section of scripture today. But from glorified to today, there are so many things going on this time of year. Am I right? Like, it just seems event after event. We're just like jumping through hoops day after day. And they're not all bad. Like, they're fun, you know? Church events, family events, eating good food, giving gifts, getting gifts. Uh, and the best one, a little bit of time off. Am I right? Nobody complains about a little time off, you know? But also with this Christmas season... There's this like weird sense of just overwhelmingness. You know, some of us are going through a very sad season in this time, and it's just overwhelming. And for some of us, we're just overwhelmed by the fact we have to get people gifts. And for me, the most overwhelming part of Christmas, and this is just me being fully honest with you guys, is shopping. I'm being serious. Like, I love giving gifts to people. I, I love being generous. But I hate lines. I really do. Honestly, if you can stand this, good for you. You are so much more holy than me. You have amazing patience. Honestly, you are so much like Jesus. Because I see this and it gives me anxiety. And honestly, I feel like this time of year, we do crazy stuff for gifts. And when we see a sale, and this is not just women, this is men as well. When we see a sale, our brain gets, like something gets just shut off, right? We see videos on YouTube of people like running and like jumping over other people like, I'm going to get that Xbox. I was like, whoa, chill, calm down. Go home and order it on Amazon. <laughs> like, chill. But this is what Christmas is about right here, right? Getting the best gift for that special someone or for your kids or for your neighbor. We constantly are trying to be the best this time of year. And honestly, it kind of feels like we're worshiping something we shouldn't. It's like we're worshiping gifts or we're worshiping this idea of something, this perfect time together. And in reality, we're worshiping our pride. Think about it. Whether you want to get the perfect gift for someone or get the perfect gift, you're seeking out the gift more than you're actually caring for the person. Think about it. When you're at a dinner party and you're like, I need to have the best thing to say. I need to have the best response when Uncle Jimmy says something stupid. <laughs> you're thinking about yourself. Or, man, Uncle Jimmy hosted last year. I'm going to host even better. Also, I don't have an Uncle Jimmy. I'm just going <laughs> to point that out there. But we are all worshiping something this time of year. And not just this time of year. This is natural part of being a human. Whether you're worshiping Jesus or something else, you are worshiping something. 
But I feel like this time of year, it's easier to ask this question. Who are you worshiping? Because it will be very obvious this time of year. And then the passage we're looking at today, I want to encourage you as we read it to look at the characters. Seek out what are they worshiping? Why are they worshiping? What is at the core of who they are? We've been in this series of looking at Jesus' birth, and in our story today, we hear about it. We hear that he's born, and it's this beautiful moment. And in this section of scripture, we focus on the surrounding nature of Jesus' birth. Last week, we focused on the thoughts of Mary and Joseph, but today we're going to look at the wider context. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 2. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. I mean, we're going to put it on the screen. But if you do have your Bibles, go for it. Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for it is written by the prophet, prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God, as we dissect this story, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that we would begin to understand who this season is really about and how we are meant to worship. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. This story is pretty straightforward, right? Jesus is born, the Magi see a star, a little straightforward, and they come to Jerusalem. But there is so much going on behind the scenes that we don't really see unless we take a deep dive into the context. And so today, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to start with. And anytime you do a deep dive into the context, you're trying to understand how these characters are feeling. 
What was going through their minds in that moment? What were they facing? Why was it important to know about Jerusalem and Bethlehem? And so when you jump into the context, the first thing you do if you've ever been in a language class or a writing class is you look at the setting. And so the very first city mentioned in this story is Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is this cute city in which Jesus was born, but it's also called the royal city. And it's got its name, it should have been from Jesus, right? But there was a king in the Old Testament that was this king that was just amazing. Some of you might have heard of him, King David. I don't know, he's kind of a big deal. Uh, If you haven't heard of him, just talk to me after service. I'll tell you a little bit about him or find Mark. He's smarter than me, so talk to Mark. (laughs) And with Bethlehem being a royal city, you would think, hey, maybe the king at that time would be there. But he wasn't, and it might also be that Jerusalem was the capital city at the time, so it does make sense that the king is there. Also, if you look at these two photos, let's be honest. If you're a king, where would you want to live? You know? It's okay. You can, you can say it. You know, Jerusalem, right? I know, I know. But Jerusalem was the capital city, and so it makes sense that when the Magi see this star, that they'd be like, okay, we need to go to the capital and find out where this king is. And so it's at this point in the story we need to address the star. Because the star is an interesting thing in this story. One, it appears, the Magi see it, they leave their homes, and they come and pursue it. They know that this star means that the king of the Jews was born. But then, later on in the story, we find out that this star reappears and leads the men to Jesus' house. This is kind of hard to fathom. But is it really hard to fathom that we serve a God who raises his son from the dead? We serve a God who makes the blind see. And so if you're struggling with this, I would just challenge you to truly think about the God that we serve. And there's more context to this star as well. See, in ancient culture, An amazing star or something that happened in the stars usually meant that a great man was born. And this this isn't just in the Jewish context. It's also in the pagan context. All over ancient writing, any time an amazing thing would happen in the stars, they were like, oh, snap, a great man was born today. (laughs) And as I was reading about this, something crazy I came past, and I just have to share it with you guys. When Julius Caesar died, one of the most amazing and most astonishing flukes in all of history took place. A nova appeared above his funeral. So it's obvious that the ancient world truly believed that the stars were telling them something. And so when we read this story, we have to know the context. And so now that we know the setting and now we know about the star, it's easier to understand the landscape of this story. But to understand what the characters were worshiping, we have to know who they are, why they do what they do. And so the first character we're going to look at today is King Herod. Obviously, he was the king at that time. The so-called, quote-unquote, king of the Jews, 
And I don't just do quote-unquote because Jesus is the real king of the Jews. No, I do quote-unquote because he actually couldn't hold the title king of the Jews. He wasn't fully Jewish. He was only 50%. Two, he didn't actually get his crown by military force or by anything that he did. He wasn't from the royal line. He got his crown because Rome went, here's the crown for you. And just like Rome, he was kind of a jerk. He led with an iron fist, with aggression and cruelty. And we'll hear more about that next week. But it's important to note here, there is a big difference between this king and Jesus. Herod ruled with aggression and power, while Jesus came in vulnerability and love. Herod became king at 33 years of age, while Jesus died at 33. Herod in his old age and later on when he was a king, became stricken with fears of being overtaken. While Jesus, in his dying moments, died for every single person. These two men stand in great contrast. And the truth is that there's another character in this story that stands in great contrast of Herod. And that's the Magi. And I know what some of you more conservative people are thinking right now is, he said magi. How dare he mention that in church? Okay, first off, wise men translates to magi. Just going to start there. Also, there is magic in the Bible. Deal with it. So just pointing that out. Um, the other thing to know is that the magi were a priestly let me say that again, a priestly group from Persia. That means they weren't kings. I know, I'm kind of ruining that little like manger scene you have right now. They weren't kings. Also, I'm really going to ruin it for you. We actually don't know that there were three. There could have been less, and there could have been more. We only think there's three because there were three gifts. So we're like, three and three, makes sense. <laughs> but that's just not true. And in some translations, it does say wise men. And as we always do, we're like, oh my goodness, that means they were bestowed with wisdom. No, they weren't. What they did do, though, is that the Magi in Persia studied the stars. They studied astrology. They interpreted people's dreams as well. And they also studied some secret arts. I won't get into that. But they studied things that people from even us in this church would look at and be like, oh, they're not holy. And yet in this story, God uses unlikely characters to point to the Messiah. And how often in our lives he, does he do the same thing? And the funny part about the Magi <laughs> that I laugh about is there were religious people at that time that God could have used but he chose the magi who study secret arts. And yet in this story, we have chief priests and scribes. And we realize from this story that these chiefs, they're not creeps, uh, chief priests <laughs> and scribes, well, they might have been, uh, and scribes literally just studied the scriptures. Like, that's all they did. They studied, 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 studied. And they obviously studied so well that King Herod was like, 
I need all these people to come tell me where the Messiah is coming from. So they had amazing intellect. They also had good standing with the king, but they were missing one thing, the most important thing, and that was Jesus. And he is the final character I want to mention. And sometimes when we hear this story, like I said, I'm ruining the manger scene for you guys today. We automatically go, Jesus was just this precious baby, and when the Magi showed up, he was still in the manger. He wasn't in a manger. Scripture doesn't say he was a baby. Nope. He was a child. I'm sorry. You're going to have to go home and take down the manger stuff. I know. I'm just kidding. Don't take it down. But we also imagine Jesus in the color of the skin we have. And we do this quite often. If you look at the picture in the middle, there are multiple renditions of Jesus in that from different countries. Jesus was Middle Eastern. He probably looked more like Mary and the baby Jesus all the way to your guys' right. I love it. (laughs) Uh, So, another thing to note about child Jesus is that when the Magi seek him out, they don't say the child born to be king. They say the child born king. They were talking to who he was rather than who he would be. Be, which is just amazing because right here at Jesus' birth, we find out he is a king. And in the scripture, it says he is the king of the Jews, but in his life and death, he is the king of all people. And the truth is, in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it always divides people, even in our culture today. I mean, we live in like the Bible Belt of California. And there are so many different churches, so many. And not just saying like Christian, non-Christian. No, I'm saying Jesus sometimes divides Christians. And I love how one commentary talks about this divide in the scripture. It says, here at the beginning of his life, talking about Jesus, we see two camps forming, one full of praise and welcome, and the other full of hatred and opposition. Herod and the Magi stand out in strong contrast, a contrast that will deepen as the story of Jesus' life unfolds towards the cross. There will always be people who will worship Jesus, and then there will always be people who oppose him. This is a part of life. And the story that we are looking at today, it challenges us to ask ourselves, who are you worshiping? And so let's take a look back at three of the characters from this story to try to understand who were they worshiping. And the first character we're going to look at again is Herod. And I've already established there is a huge difference between Herod and Jesus, but there is also a huge difference between Herod and the Magi. Herod was egotistical, he sought power, and he feared to lose it. When he heard that the Messiah was coming and the new king of the Jews, he freaked out. He got scared. 
He didn't want somebody to be better than him. He didn't want somebody to replace him. He wanted the throne for himself, and he did not want to give it away. He worshiped his pride and power, and he truly feared to lose it. And that's why he was like, okay, I hear the king of the Jews is here. Let's gather all of my worship team, and let's just sit there, and let's try to understand this. Where is the Messiah coming from? Who is the Messiah? And right then and there, he finds out that the Messiah is coming from Bethlehem. And what does he do with that information? One, he hides it. It says, in secret, he brought the Magi about. And there are multiple reasons he probably did it in secret, but I honestly think the first one is he didn't want to lose his popularity. He didn't want to say there could be another king. He wanted to be in secret. And so he summoned them, and he was like, okay, here's where Jesus is from. And some people were like, well, why didn't he go with Jesus or with the Magi? Well, he didn't want to give up his pride. He didn't want people to know he was pursuing the new king. And in fact, he sends out the Magi because he truly believes that those Magi are going to come back and tell him where Jesus was so that he, Herod, could go kill Jesus. Pride is a terrible, terrible thing. And when we worship pride, all we seek is gain. And we envy and we get pissed off at people who don't listen to us or who try to outdo us. Can you imagine a holiday season or Christmas without pride? Could you imagine going to a dinner where you haven't been welcomed because you let your pride ruin a relationship? See, if we could put our pride aside for a day, one day, just Christmas, Christmas could be a day that we actually sing about. It could be a day of love. It could be a day of joy. But instead, we focus on our pride. And so it makes me ask the question again, who are you worshiping? Because we could be like King Herod, but then we can also be like the religious leaders of the day who sought to worship their intellect. I already said it, all they did was study the scripture. I don't really know how to make that much clearer. They should have known the significance of the star. They should have been excited when the Magi came and said, the king of the Jews has been born. They should have been like, yeah, everything that we've been reading, here he is. But they didn't. Instead, they went back and they sat with the very words of Jesus that they should have been studying and looking for Jesus. And I love how Jesus talks about the religious people in his day. In John 5, 39 through 40, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They had all the knowledge of what eternal life was, but they did nothing with it. Nothing. They sought their own way instead of the way of Jesus. They worship their intellect instead of seeking out the very thing they were worshiping. And knowledge is a weird thing to worship, but we do it all the time in our culture. Like, I mean, so many of us prep for family dinners. 
We sit in front of the TV because we're like, okay, I know this family member watches CNN, or I know this family member watches Fox. I need to know how to argue with them. And so we sit there and we're consumed with news, politics, education, anything that makes us look like the smartest person in the room. We seek to be heard and so people can know how smart we are, but we don't realize we're not even listening to the other person. So who in this season are you worshiping? And the crazy part about the chief priests and the scribes, and this blows my mind, is that the very verse they share with Jesus, or not Jesus, with Herod, points to Jesus as being the good shepherd, as being the shepherd of God's people. Yet they weren't even looking for him. They weren't looking for their shepherd. And yet the magi who studied secret arts were the ones that would stop at nothing to get at the feet of a child. So let's take a look at the Magi. The Magi left everything. Like I said, they were from Persia. And they came with gifts and a hunger to worship the king of the Jews, which is insane (laughs) because they weren't even Jewish. And I mean, look at the story, like truly look at it. Let me read a summary to you. The Magi saw a star, came to Jerusalem, seeking out the new king to worship. They were Gentiles, by the way, these Magi, which means that Jewish people actually were racist against Gentiles. So they were met with a lot of oppression, but that didn't stop them. And when they heard that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, they left and they sought him out. And then they see the star again, and they are overjoyed because it means they are one step closer to worshiping the Messiah. Then they come to the feet of a child, and they bow down. And they give him gifts, gifts that are meant for a king. And then at the very end of the story, which I think gets overlooked sometimes, we hear that they get a dream telling them not to go back to Herod. The king at that time could kill them for not coming back to him. And what do they do? They go, no, we're going to worship God. We're going to listen to God, not this earthly king. We are going to go back home now. We can learn so much from the Magi, and especially how they worship, because they kind of like embodied the Christmas season. Seriously, We focus in this season on gifts, loving, and journeying together. And I mean journeying together because life is a journey. And this time of year is hard for some people, very hard. There is some people who will be around a table this Christmas with an empty chair. And they are journeying through something so difficult and hard. And in this season of that journey, it's important to remember that Jesus, that's a good ringtone, that Jesus is with you. Jesus doesn't let us suffer alone. 
He came down to experience life here on earth, human flesh. He experienced pain. So that when we experience pain, when we experience heartache, Jesus is right there with us. And so that's why I include journey in this, because that's what happened to the Magi. They went on a journey from their home to a place that was racist against them. I can imagine as they step into the throne room of Herod and ask the question, hey, where is the king of the Jews, the religious people throwing things at them or insulting them? And yet here are these men who stopped at nothing to worship Jesus. They didn't care about their circumstance. They didn't care about the pain they experienced. They sought one thing, and that was to meet the king of the Jews. And when they finally were able to beat Jesus, and this is beautiful, these grown men bowed at a child. Can you imagine this holiday season if we showed the same humility? Could you imagine if this holiday season we brought gifts for people but expected nothing in return? Because if we could do that, we could worship in the way the Magi did. And so once again, I think it's worth asking, who are you worshiping? The Magi sought to worship Jesus, the King of the Jews. And the beautiful thing about the gifts that the Magi brought is that they foreshadowed Jesus' life. They were a gift for a king, and they were expensive. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, a picture of royalty. Frankincense, a picture of deity. God made flesh. And then myrrh. Myrrh was used for burials. So in these gifts, we see the gospel, that Jesus came a king humbled himself to be human, and then died so we can experience life. And I love this section of scripture because it points to who Jesus truly is. He is the king of all people. He is the king worthy of praise. And yes, I know that the text says king of the Jews, but the Magi weren't Jewish. And the Magi were like, I want to worship this kid. And so if the Magi could do it, if the Magi could stop at nothing, so can we. And the truth of life is, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you are worshiping something. And in this season, we have to ask ourselves, will we be like King Herod, who worshiped himself, his pride, what he could gain, his power? Will we worship like the religious leaders of that day? who sought prestige, intelligence, make sure that person doesn't look down on me because I'm the most intelligent in the room. Or will we be like the Magi, the unlikely characters in this story, and will we point to Jesus by how our heart is formed in this season? And I love the fact that the Magi brought these gifts to Jesus because, like I said, it shows who he really is. Jesus is king who lived a divine life and died for us and then rose again so we can experience freedom from the bondage of death, sin, and guilt. 
And in this season, he is the only reason to worship. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you leave here and go home and burn all your gifts. That would be some crazy stuff, and I'm sure you would make your kids so mad, so mad. And don't tell them, oh, Nathan at church said that we need to burn the gifts, so we just need to do it. I am not saying that at all. But what I am trying to say is, where is your heart? Why are you doing what you're doing in this season? Who are you worshiping? Are you giving gifts or inviting people over because you want to show your pride, your ego, or your intelligence? Or are you going to be like the Magi and humbly, lovingly, and transparently love your neighbor, love your family, be with them, show them who Jesus is by you putting your pride aside for a day? Because when we can do this, we are truly worshiping Jesus, the king that came and lived among us in the form of a baby, (laughs) a kid. He came and died so we can experience true freedom. And so as we head into a time of prayer and worship to close out the service, I just want to ask for the last time today, who are you? worshiping. God, as the worship band comes up, I pray that your truth would ring through the message today. That as we head off to our multiple events, different places today, that we would truly focus on who you are. That we would not be like Herod, promoting our pride, our ego, our gain, but instead we would be like the Magi who sought nothing in return. Lord, I pray that we would not be like the religious leaders of that day, seeking knowledge, intelligence, but missing Jesus. I pray instead we would be like the Magi who asked for help, who sought you even through the trials, even through the pain. And God, I pray that in this season we would focus on who you truly are so that it would go beyond this season. Jesus, we are eternally grateful for who you are and what you have done for us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.